Hi, welcome to Invisibly Ill, a podcast by three 30-something women living in New Zealand who've all been told that you don't look sick. We hope that sharing stories will make invisibly ill people feel seen. Content may be triggering for people who are still on their health journey. Hello, welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, Invisibly Ill. I'm Laura and I'm here with Jen. Hi. And Megan. Hey. And before we get into our personal whys, let's talk about what the podcast hopes to do. Jen, over to you. Yes, so we're hoping to do a series of pretty honest chats and interviews to raise awareness about invisible illness. And what does invisible illness mean? Well, to be honest, the scope's pretty big and we'll probably keep finding more and more as we go along. But I think what we mean generally is that it's anything from an illness perspective that you can't see. Even if part of the illness is visible, we want to acknowledge all the bits that aren't. We've all had separate health issues and it was through talking to each other and sharing our stories that we realized that even though they are really different issues, they have so many things in common. So we thought there's probably lots of people out there that are going through the same thing as us and we couldn't find any podcasts about it, so we thought we'd make one. We're going to cover different themes each week from diagnosis to recovery, uh, the impact that illness can have on family, relationships, work, sex, all sorts of things. And if we can, further down the line, it would be great to talk to other people about their experiences too. But let's start with us. So Jen, you don't look sick. Well, I'm not too bad right now, but uh, about a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with triple positive breast cancer um, with no family history of the disease and then went through a lot of treatment for it and uh, some of which the side effects still affect my day-to-day life now, let alone the mental health challenges that anyone who's ever had a life-threatening diagnosis has to face and the, the lingering impact of that. So. Yeah, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on under the surface. There's a lot that's uh, invisible, some might say. <laughs> but Laura, you don't look sick either. So sometimes I actually do look a bit sick. Um, but basically, I've had a bad back on and off since I was in a car accident um, when I was about 17. And it's currently on. Um, unfortunately, I've had a bit of a relapse in the last uh, couple of months. Until I had surgery on my back in September last year, I'd had chronic pain pretty badly for just under two years. Um, which you guys know very well because you were my helpers. I recovered really well from back surgery, which is my second disectomy, lumbar disectomy. Uh, but unfortunately, I overdid it at Reformer Pilates, which is meant to be part of my recovery. Um, and then the next day, when I was feeling a little bit sore from that, I sneezed and <laughs> sneezed. Oh, it sounds so stupid. Um, I sneezed and then I was in so much pain that I nearly passed out. Um, and I think what's happened is one of the discs in my spine, which are already pretty fragile, thanks to, you know, just genes, I think, um, has bulged and it's pushing on my sciatic and perineal nerves. And that's the one that goes all the way down your leg to your foot, which has caused something called foot drop, which is exactly as it sounds. I can't p- pull my left foot up towards my face or pull it up towards me. Um, and I can't bend my toes. So it's very much a Kill Bill, wiggle your big toe situation in my life at the moment. Um, it's hard to walk and very painful to walk. My foot is numb um, and most of my leg is numb. Can't move my toes. Back on the painkillers, doing the physio, acupuncture, you name it. I am trying it to try and, you know, speed up my recovery. Um, so actually mine is currently visible in terms of, you know, I've got strapping on my foot to try and, you know, help that. Like a kind of fake ankle brace, I guess. Um, but invisible in terms of people don't know how much pain I'm in quite a lot of the time and they think rather coolly that I've had a sport injury (laughs) so um 
yeah, currently it's feeling a lot more visible because it's affecting the way I walk, but um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Over to you, Megan. You don't look sick. Yeah, I don't really have a formal diagnosis. I have diagnosed myself with GERD, which is basically my stomach acid hates me and likes to come up in my mouth, which is really horrible and disgusting. Um, and I get sick a lot. I get nauseous. I'm kind of in the middle of figuring out what's wrong with me at the moment. Um, I have had this, I've gradually been getting worse for about 10 years. And in the last probably eight years, it's gotten unbearably bad. Um, and you know, it's hard to call in sick with heartburn because most people just think, Oh, you're just being mm. a big baby because it's just heartburn. But well, also, um, it's not heartburn. Is nah. it? It's so much more than that. Yeah, it's the severity of it has become like a all-consuming part of my life. Like I'm so exhausted all the time. I get sick. I have stomach aches. I get bloated for days. I'm nauseous for weeks at a time. Um, and so I'm currently seeing a nutritionist because. Um, unfortunately, the only solution that my other doctor have was to lose weight, which is definitely part of my journey, but it's not the only thing because this has been going on at different weights for a long time. And so I'm going on this very intensive nutritional journey to figure out what are my triggers so that I can stay away from them, heal my gut, um, and, you know, figure out what's causing this because, um, it's... Just a, it's rough, but nobody can see it because I've been living with it for so long. Mm. It's my normal. Like, I'll get sick at night, and then I'll get up in the morning and go to work and be fine. And, you know, like, I got sick at work a couple weeks ago, and my boss said, oh, but you look fine. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years, so I have to... If I stopped every time I felt this sick, mm. I would not have a job, quite frankly. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. It's kind of smack in the middle of me trying to get on my healing journey. I think fundamentally, like whatever names you want to give diseases, like there's so many commonalities to our experience mm. that we've had. And uh, and that's really why we wanted to make this podcast, because there's so much more that, that we share than, than the differences. Yeah, definitely. What's the most surprising thing you found about your diagnosis? I think for me, and I'm sure you guys will agree, it's that you have to let people help you. Um, and I am notoriously bad at that. But when you've got a bad back and you cannot move out of your bed, let alone kind of crawl to the bathroom and you need friends to help you with every kind of aspect of your life and, you know, um, you have to be able to let people help you. And it does make a huge, huge difference, but you have to be, you have to take that step. And for me that, especially with my last, my last bad back, um, up until September that was a real thing for me because I I'm very independent like fiercely independent and I always think that that's enough like I'm just I'm cool I don't need anyone's help I'm I'm fine and this really showed me that no take the help you know you guys were part of my support crew and I couldn't have done it without you so it's interesting that you find that surprise that you find that surprising it wasn't surprising at all for me that I needed help <laughs> And I was like, I'm taking the help. I'm asking for the help. I need the help. But I think it's because you're Hermione and I'm wrong. <laughs> you know. The thing yeah. is, and I'm sure there'll be other people who are thinking, why is it surprising that your friends and people around you want to help you? And it's not that it, it's not that aspect of it. It's that... Trauma! I, felt, 
Yeah. I think but I it, found it harder knowing what to ask, what helped. I didn't know what help I needed. That mm. was my bit that I found harder. It was not the, not, I knew I probably needed help. I just didn't know what help I needed. I and what it looked like. like and what you, there was so much uncertainty about what you're going to face. It's like. Well, I remember you saying at one point. Um, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I need. You had loads of people offering you help. Mm. But you didn't know what you needed. Yeah, so what yeah. would have be been more helpful is for someone to go, I'm do- going to be doing your washing tomorrow. Like, yeah. put your stuff in, you know. Yeah. Or I'm bringing around food. it becomes like a full-time job, like delegating tasks. I'm like, no, yeah. I've got enough going on without having to, like, give a million jobs out. Just tell me you're going to the supermarket. Do I need, a- do I need anything? Yeah. You know? Well, it's funny because I have the opposite problem because nobody can really help me because mm-hmm. mine is around food. So, like, biggest things that I can do is, like, when I go to somebody's house, or I always say, like, I can't eat these things. But nobody can really help me with what's mm-hmm. happening because I have no diagnosis and there's no, like, trajectory. My Your partner, partner helps you. My partner helps me. She's a saint. Um, but she knows how to help me because we eat together cook together Mm. and like so she gets it um and I'll never forget one of my best friends moved into our um place for a wee while after the flooding because she wasn't she had to move out of her place and one day she looked at me and she goes you're really sick and she'd known about you know like I've told her that I'd been sick and whatever Mm. but it wasn't until she lived with me that she was like wow it's like really like bad like I can't believe you go to work all the time just like nothing's wrong Mm. and it was at that moment that I thought yeah I am actually sick because like what I have is heartburn and people just think of heartburn as like throw some ginger at it don't eat spicy food and it'll be fixed get some Gaviscon yeah Yeah. oh my god I live on Gaviscon I should buy stock in Gaviscon (laughs) I was just joking oh but it's a real thing I used to have panic attacks if I ran out of Gaviscon in my like purse I have it in every single bag that I own because I need it at all times. Because I don't know when my heartburn is going to decide that it wants to kick up. I hate the adverts for Gaviscon. I like when you see the little, like, I'm sure it's a little, like, milky looking fireman going oh, down yeah. your throat. <laughs> and that's so I hate it. Sorry. This is, I can't do the liquid though. I oh. like the chewable one. Is it because really? of the fucking advert? No, it's not because of the advert. I just, like, I can't do the liquid. No. It's also not as portable. Oh, fair. You know, because yeah. I, I literally have it, like, I remember there was one trip I was on, I'd gone to bed, and I always, before I, like, when I unpack at a place, I always put Gaviscon next to my bed, nightstand, because sometimes I wake up and I have heartburn, and I don't want to get out of bed and dig it out of my bag, and I remember not having it, and we were, like, in some small town where everything was closed, and I I was, like, so panicked about it, and I was, I did have heartburn, I was fine, but I remember feeling so much anxiety about it, and it was just, like, it... It's Gaviscon, but I was living on it for ages. All the heartburn medications are available. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the only one that I found that's We're not being paid really by helpful. Gaviscon. No. <laughs> this is not a sponsored advertisement. The dual action one is the oh only one I can use. Although if we got some like reduced, if we got some free Gaviscon. Oh man. That would sign me up. <laughs> Although hopefully once I do this whole journey that you I'm on, need it. I will hopefully not need it. What would yeah. you say um, is something like, some, something that is surprising then because you guys, you guys have both kind of said I wouldn't find it as surprising that your friends <laughs> wanted to help and I think I just wanted to clarify my point on that and I obviously am not surprised that you guys wanted to help me but I was surprised at how much it helped when I let myself 
Yeah, yeah. You help me. Yeah. Let yourself um, be vulnerable. Yeah, because yeah. I was, I'm like lying on my back like a turtle. <laughs> like, I currently can't put my own shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to put my own shoes on. I can't put them on them very easily without doing some contortion. And that was a surprise for me because it shouldn't be a surprise. Like, I should yeah. be a open lot more to open. Um, but yeah. We'll be talking more about vulnerability. I'm sure on every every <laughs> yeah. single episode. My whole diagnosis was pretty surprising, to be honest, because um, because I've got no family history, and it was, and I just, you know, I was. Well, the thing that shocked me though was it really just felt like a boil in my armpit. Mm. Like it, it just felt like a spot. I didn't mm. feel. Someone asked me the other week, oh, did it feel like a rock or something?" Went, no, it just felt like a spot. Like it didn't feel. Now what the unusual. They felt like, oh, is it just a hair follicle, or like, yeah. you know, that could be anything. And it was actually, you know, the fact that it it just grew so quickly. And I think, you know, by the time my I started chemotherapy, it felt like a tennis ball in my armpit. Holy oh, wow. moly! Because that wasn't long between those no, two things. No. So like, went from feeling like a, you know, a largish boil yeah. in my armpit, which I thought, okay, well, that probably go down over that few days, to you know maybe a month tops between first feeling something wow. and starting chemo and you know it was the size of a tennis ball so you know that's where it's just how fast it was growing was yeah. and that's was what happens really with the, shocking. if i'm right in understanding that's what happens with the particular yeah so because i'm because i'm triple positive means i've got her two protein around my the cells of my um cancer and that's what makes it grow faster um so it's a particular type is is particularly fast growing and aggressive mm. but um but yeah that was that was probably um quite surprising for me um and then i think just generally like the mental health side of this whole journey mm. i i expected the physical pain and maybe naively because you've got to compartmentalize to a yeah. certain extent mm. to survive yeah um, I don't think I ever anticipated how hard the mental health mm. side of it would be. Having been someone that's, you know, not particularly suffered with anxiety or depression and things like that, you know, generally before. Um, and, you know, having really to, to face my own demons throughout this yeah. whole process has been, been really tough. Well, it's definitely saying something that you, like, as women, we need to be really diligent because most women would have just thought, oh, it's just an ingrown hair and mm. not gotten it checked out. Mm. So it's pretty amazing that you were like, I'm going to get this checked out just, you know. Yeah, I was like, case. you know, just in case. Yeah. Just go. And, and but I that's always think good. how lucky I was that I had a GP that didn't just go, oh, you know, nothing. oh, you It'll know, no family history, can't feel anything. In it. So, because interesting fact, um, that breast cancer starts in the breast. It doesn't start in the armpit, um, and the armpit is where it jumps to. So oh. it was when they found, when I was having my diagnosis and they're doing the ultrasound of my armpit, and they saw the lump and everything, and then they did the ultrasound of my breast and saw a second lump. And that was probably the moment where somewhere in me, I think part of me knew that it could be possible, even though like I was full head in sand ostrich all the way up to my, like, I was like no 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 I'm just gonna like it could be but no it could yeah. be but no like just shut that down shut that lid well, I've, got, I've got like horrifying memories of me being like oh no it'll be nothing I I went because I went and had a lump checked out like, yeah like, it'll be fine did, nine like, times out of ten yeah and I nothing. did that I did all of those things to you 
You weren't the only one. <laughs> I'm sure it was. But I just, I feel, I, that was one of the things I just thought, shit, fuck. Yeah. But like that's just you as a but human. It's a, it's yeah. a coping mechanism, you know? right? Like you've yeah. just got to believe that it's okay until it's not. Yeah. yeah. You can't, that's true. You can't kind of because you can't be doom and gloom all the time, like no. you know. And it's also like don't you know, but worry about you what you don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so a couple of surprising things there, I suppose. How about you, yeah. Megan? I think that's. I mean, I don't have a diagnosis, so like I don't really. I think the biggest surprise that I've had thus far is that the medication that I am on is like the strongest medication that you can get and you're only supposed to take it once a day and they put me on twice a day and said you can't do this forever but then didn't give me any sort of direction after that like how do I get off of it how do I fix it so that I don't have to take this anymore and that was really bizarre to me if they were saying like oh you probably shouldn't be on this forever because it's not really good for your body because then your body can't regulate the pH in your stomach and all of this other stuff. And then they never said anything. Like I went to a, I went to a specialist and um, I'm currently in the Bermuda Triangle of trying to get um, a word that I can't pronounce where they put a camera down your throat. Endoscopy? Endoscopy, thank you. <laughs> um, and the doctor says that I should be scheduled for it within six weeks, which was six months ago. Oh, Jesus. They messaged my GP saying that it was scheduled. And then when I call them to ask, because I never got notified of an appointment, they say that I'm still on the waiting list. So I'm in this, like, Bermuda Triangle trying to get this thing done to help me. Mm. Um, and so I kind of took it into my own hands. And so that was the most surprising part. And surprising but not surprising is that they focused my specialist was really focused on my weight like didn't as soon as he heard how much i weighed didn't want to focus on anything else and i'm not like severely overweight i hate how quickly people jump to weight being you know? a reason for and I, I think that's something you and i've had as well yeah. which we'll probably talk about in another yeah. episode and it definitely, more, in more detail yeah I mean. and i definitely think it impacts my health and i definitely think it's something that i'm working on but it can't be the only thing if I've been different weights and it still happened. Yeah. You know? And so, um, yeah, that's what's been the most surprising is that they jumped to my weight and it was like a dog with a bone. It's He couldn't move past that. Mm-hmm. And also the, you shouldn't be on this medicine forever, but we're not going to discuss with you on how you get off of it. So that was just bizarre to me. That is bizarre. I actually have had the same thing when I'm talking about just thinking about um, all the painkillers that I was on last year and the year before I was on um, sorry to like jump on your story but yeah. just the same thing so with the um, tramadol and some of the other really strong ones I was on they were like oh you can't you can't be on this for too long and I, they, I didn't know what too long was so yeah. I, after I was on it for three months six months nine months I was like is it still okay like should I are you going to change on something else yeah. and they were kind of like oh no it's working so it's fine they're like but you said not forever. Like, yeah. Hmm. I know I'm a fairly literal person, but like, can you give me an, anything? Yeah. Um, and I get that there's still so much unknown information, but it's so unhelpful mm. and it just makes you wonder about what on earth is yeah. going on. Mm. I caramba. Yeah. Mm. Um, what is something unexpectedly funny about your diagnosis, Jen? Um, about my diagnosis. Oh, I don't know, it's probably a bit, it's a bit of dark humour, really, but... Um, <laughs> this is very welcome. Um, well, so, 
when I got diagnosed, because it had jumped to my lymph nodes, basically we had I had to go for a PET scan, which is where they pump you full of radiation, and basically the um, the radioactive substance gets attracted to the cancer, and then on the machine, like you glow orange in spaces where like the cancer is. Yeah. And so it's quite cool. Like, I'm yeah. probably describing the procedure wrong, but that's my layman's terms, like, understanding of how it works. And so I was like, in my mind, I became the Incredible Hulk for a day. And I had to go to Laura's house because I wasn't allowed to come home because I wasn't allowed to be near my son at the time who could be affected by my radioactivity. Your glow. My glow. Your X-Men glow. <laughs> my, uh, my X-Men Hulk glow. So I couldn't be around small people. Yeah. Myself excluded. <laughs> really small, little people um, that are under the age of, I don't know, yeah, children. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was like um, under the age of five or something. Yeah, six. something like that. Yeah. Um, but so they kept like use these fancy words like, oh, you're, we're just going to see if you're curative or palliative. I'm like, so you're going to see Ooh. if you're going to try and keep me alive or going to like, are we, are, we, are we trying to like get me better or are we just trying to... Make not, you not make me die. Yeah. That really does sound like the thing they should not be saying to the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. like that's so, the stuff that you you talk about your you know with your colleague and with the patient. You're like, are you comfortable? Yeah. You know, we're just going to be doing. But this. like basically, the funny thing was that I well, just a few weeks earlier we'd done this like Christmas photo shoot with me and my <laughs> husband and my and my um. Child. Where is this going? Um, and I thought it would be a really lovely idea to like. We've got this Christmas picture, we're on our Christmas jumpers, we look so cute, and got all these photos printed, framed, and sent them all to my mum to distribute to like my sister, my in-laws and everything. So she opened up this box in the week that we're like waiting to find out if I'm gonna have like terminal cancer. And it's like Merry Here's the Christmas. last photo you can ever get. I was like, my mum told me after, she's like, I was in tears. Like, oh, no. Was like, oh no. Before we know whether Jen's going to die, like, here's the last ever picture you may have. And like, oh. It, I hear those sleepers jingling. And I, actually, I was, it's a classic accountant. I was like, right, well, what do I need to do? I don't know if I'm going to die or not, so I'm going to start writing my will. Don't write your will Jesus when you get a terminal Jen. diagnosis. Oh, no. It's pretty grim. It's pretty tough. Um, but yeah, I was very organised and that gave me a distraction from, you know. Oh, my poor mother. Yeah, oh. so, yeah my poor mum. But yeah. That was, How about um, you, Megan? Um, I realised yours are still in, in motion, but you've yeah, probably got some good I mean, stories. Probably the funny side of my thing is my flatulence. <laughs> It's always funny. <laughs> because I... Apart from, as mentioned earlier, when you're in the acupuncturist, <laughs> you're trying desperately not to fart for an hour. Yeah. I have to hold so many farts in when it's, like, when I'm really bad and I have really bad bloating and my stomach's really unhappy, I have farted in places that I should not have farted <laughs> and not made eye contact with people. Specifically, I fart and run. Uh, I did fart and run. I farted and run a lot in Kmart. Oh, you know, that, it, some of Kmart no does smell of fart. Is that you or is that just in general? It's me. I've just cropped up the whole thing. <laughs> um, no, it's just like randomly, all suddenly my body will be like, it's time, <laughs> and it doesn't matter where I am. Um, I was in a meeting once. Oh no! Really? And, 
Um, it was a silent one. Thank, f- thank fuck. <laughs> but I saw people start grimacing because <laughs> my farts do not smell nice. It smells like death and no one's farts smell nice. I know, but there are some people who it's not as rancid. Mine can clear a room. It's not cute. And I just I remember. Now we get into the nitty gritty. It was of like this early a, it was at one of my earlier call center jobs or something, and I just there was too many people in the room for anybody to decide who had. Uh, made the fart, which I loved and was very appreciative of. But um, I saw saw everybody's face gradually start grimacing around the Mm -hmm. room, and I was just sitting there like, not again. Do not do it again. (laughs) Have you ever, have you ever talked to a fart in your head? You be quiet when you come out. You're going to come out. You be very quiet. Literally, I have. I have had that conversation in my head with my body being like, if it has to come out, it has to be very quiet. (laughs) Like, shh, don't you mess with me. Don't do it. Um, yeah, so. And there have been times where I'm in public and it's loud and I can do nothing about it. That Same wasn't with, it, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that was the table. Um, yeah. Or my, it's the same with my burping. Because mm. I, if I hold in either one, like, for a while, it makes me more sick. Yeah. Like, it's not good for my body. No, definitely. And so, with the farting one, I obviously try to go to the bathroom for that but sometimes the burping one it just happens when i'm in the middle of a meal mm, you know enough. you know so those In are probably cultures a yeah. sign of appreciation <laughs> yeah exactly i need to live there they would think i loved their food <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's probably the funny bit i don't really have like a specific story but just like general flatulence at the wrong times is mm. probably my funny life existence that's pretty excellent yeah i mean not Oh, I suppose it is. I think it's excellent. What about, about you? you, Laura? Oh, <laughs> so my re- most recent one, because um, obviously I'm now in um, like relapse, um, is that I overdid it in Pilates and then the next morning sneezed and messed my back up <laughs> for an unknown amount of months. <laughs> Um, but before that, and I think this is the one that is the funniest. Um, is it, uh, funny. I think it's funny now. Um, is when we went into lockdown uh, in Auckland, which was, you know, very exciting at the start because we'd kind of avoided COVID for such a long time. I was just in the supermarket with my mask and I thought, oh, grab some hummus and put my back out. Or for a prestige or a hummus. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Why there to put them on the bottom shelf? Yeah, I just, I obviously <laughs> just turned at the wrong angle and I just was in immense amount of pain and had a mask on and I suddenly got really hot, you know. And I went and grabbed this like probably 17 year old manager of the store. And I was like, I need a chair. Like I really need a chair. I've hurt my back, I need a chair, I need a chair. And they didn't know what to do because they had maybe not dealt with that before. And one of them got me some ice from the fish counter. Hey, whatever. fishy ice. It was, yeah. it was, un, it was un, I believe. It didn't smell. Unfished. It was unfished ice. It was, it was, it was virgin ice. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and like I've told several people that like that's essentially what what, what slipped my discs is my when my, when messing my back up is I was just grabbing some hummus. So that's like the measurement now. Like, uh, yeah. is it hummus bad or are we just talking sneeze bad? <laughs> like, is that the gauge that we're going with? I think now? it's gonna have to be the gauge. <laughs> sneeze bad is definitely not as bad as hummus bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I had a really bad cough when I was about twenty, and that was quite bad. But I. Um, managed to eventually stand up and then I passed out from the pain of standing up and then the movement of passing out 
gave me the movement back that I needed. Oh. So, there's a strange world of bad backs, but... <laughs> the body works in very weird ways sometimes. It does. <laughs> it really does. Um, Given that exciting story, Laura, yeah. what is the favourite reaction you've received to your... Uh, what's your favourite reaction you've received to your Oh, uh, I mean, it's laughter. It's definitely know? laughter for yeah. me. Like, I th- I, it's definitely not always been funny, but you have to have a bit of a sense of humour with it. Like Not funny haha, but funny sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, I think it's just... I, I prefer the people laughing about... Uh, laughing with me about me being self-deprecating about it than being pitying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the pity comes after. The head tilt. For the months. Have you had the head tilt? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, they're like... They're like... Uh, and the head tilt. I have... I hate the head tilt. The head tilt. It's like, you're half dead already. But it's also, I can tell by people, because lockdown, I can tell the pity from people's eyes. Like, <laughs> I don't need the tilt. Yeah. I can see it in your eyes. And like hobbling around my office at the moment with, you know, going to fill up my hot water bottle. I get the look. And it's every time. Like, they know it's me. They can hear me coming like, <laughs> shuffling along. <laughs> <laughs> like, like an ogre. Um, they know it's me. They don't need to look around, but they look around. Um, so I think I yeah I prefer when people when I can laugh with people and be like fucking hummus yeah um, <laughs> to the kind of the pity because I think the pity lasts for longer like it yeah. especially if if it's like this back like it, I don't know how long this is gonna last and I can't tell people oh yeah I'll be fine in a couple of weeks like it could be especially with discs it can be twelve to eighteen months yeah um, hopefully I'm mm. not gonna be that bad this time because yeah. I'm throwing everything. But yeah, it's just, I prefer people to laugh, basically. That's a really long answer. How about you, Megan? Um, what is the oh, best reaction? Yeah, yeah, what's your favorite reaction? I don't really have, nobody ever reacts the way they react to, like, what you have or cancer. They just look at me like, Harper? Yeah. I kind of get this scrunched up face sometimes that is like, oh, the nose wrinkle. Harper? And I'm like, eh, it's a bit more than heartburn. And so, I mean, I think the best reaction that I've had was probably from you, Laura, because Laura used to be my boss. Oh, yeah. And she just said, do what you got to do. And that was the best reaction that I got because it was like an acknowledgement that it was a real thing. And also, like, it wasn't some small thing that I was making a big thing, you know, which I know sounds like a weird thing to, to appreciate. But I do appreciate that because a lot of times people just think that I don't know what they think but they definitely don't think that I'm sick enough to be considered sick oh don't you hate that there's apparently an invisible scale of being sick enough or ill enough or Mm. in pain enough that no one actually tells you what the scale is but you're Mm. like somewhere on it yeah so it sounds like if I'm understanding you correctly that for you the best reaction is someone who acknowledges that it is a real yeah. thing and that you are going through something and you just need to do what you got to do. Yeah. Like it, how it impacts me. Sometimes I just physically can't go to work cause mm. I've been vomiting all night. Cause sometimes when I vomit, it's like the exorcist came into my bathroom and Oh God is uh, put a demon inside me. <laughs> so um, it gets really violent. And my body gets sore and I just can't go to work. But other times I can get sick in the night and go to work and be fine. Mm. It's really just, I just need somebody like having a child in the night yeah wakes you up but also kicks you in the stomach at the same time and you know yeah does more brutal things to you yeah so I mean that's the biggest thing is that when I especially when I don't have to explain because with my what I because I don't have like a diagnosis so to speak 
I always have to explain it more to people mm, that yeah. like I need to ask time off for or if I need to explain to my new boss this is what I have here are all the reasons why it's a real thing like I get sick in the night I get not you know like I have to yeah. list all of those things I can't just say I have severe heartburn and it really impacts my life because people just don't accept that yeah mm. so um yeah what about you Jen what's your been your favorite um reaction that you've received um my um my favorite reaction was probably actually from my personal trainer um <laughs> Who she beat me. <laughs> I saw the day after my diagnosis. So I got my diagnosis on a Thursday evening. My surgeon called me, um, which was going around the supermarket, I think, actually. But um, <laughs> just to, you know, casual part of the job, just yeah. to call, go, go through the stuff. Um, but the the next day, I went and I had um, some my personal trainer and told her in person. And she just went, Well, that's shit. And I was like, <laughs> I just love the honesty of it. Yeah, um, yeah. She was just, it was like, yes, it's shit. And I just like, yes. Like, I don't, it was no, I don't need to comfort you. I, I think that was the, the, the polar no opposite to that was people who sort of, I, I didn't tell many people in person, but there was definitely one friend that I told in person who then was like, kind of, you could tell from their face that they were sort of, didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. They were going through their own, processing and I was like I don't have space to to help yeah. you process to make you feel better I'm not going to comfort you because yeah. I just don't have that emotional room right now to you be like, like oh don't worry it'll be fine because I don't know if I believe you know, it's like yeah. I don't have space to be that person for you right now because I don't you know were, if I'm yeah I don't know if I will be fine you know well you were talking earlier about how it's people reacting with their own mortality and that's mm. why they don't know how to react yeah oh, 100%. and I think that that's a really good point when you get diagnosis like cancer who yeah you know the big bad c word and we all kind of know mm. that it can be life-threatening and all that stuff mm. you start thinking about your own yeah. mortality and well um, I, I think, you, know, you know one of the things that you of, don't know how to react yeah and the and the it does i think it has made me think about how do i react to people who mm. have had um you know family members die or you know mm -hmm. do you, everybody just sort of avoids talking about it or and I don't want to remind them like you can't remind no. them like they know every second of their life yeah that yeah. you can't remind them oh yeah like, absolutely they haven't forgotten yeah know? um but you can say you know I heard this happened I'm so sorry you know um happy to help or you know yeah um and just be open about it. You don't have to dwell on it and do the pity look. You can just be yeah. be honest and You can't manage clear. other people's reactions to no. your story. Like, no. you, and you shouldn't have to. Like you shouldn't have to be responsible for that, you know, that friend or probably others that happened around the same time yeah. of trying yeah. to help them deal with the news that you yeah. have given them like that's just well my solution was thing. just to message people that's what i ended up doing most yeah. of the time is actually because one you could copy paste yeah. so you're only having to write the same yeah. thing like because to have to repeat your diagnosis yeah. a million times you know um it's, it's quite emotionally draining um so to to be able to put it in a message yeah was like okay you know i could message a whole load of people and yeah. you know and sort of share the news without having to kind of go into all the questions and answers and try to preempt some of the key things really yeah. um, mm -hmm. and just give them the information without having to 
going to go into to all of the details with everybody all the time at, yeah. that, at that point. You don't want to keep telling that story over yeah. and over. I mean, and over. fine to tell it now, but I, at the yeah. time, you know, it was all just so fresh. So, yeah. so fresh. And I think there is that thing with the, um, you know, with the people's own mortality. It does, it does confront it because, you know, in terms of, you know, my no family history for, yeah. you know, no family history of my disease and, and people, you know, sort of, want to find a reason why you yeah. they want to find why a reason why was you well, so oh what do you know why you got it yeah i've had that before i've had oh do you know why you got it or or have you I got was... a family history have you got yeah. a genetic component and yeah. no i don't have a genetic component yeah. no i've got no family history just bloody lucky I just guess. you know yeah. and then i'm like yeah just good luck you know yeah i mean so like, yeah and it's it's really interesting to hear that because it makes me challenge the way i react Mm. to things like that because mm. I think that my go-to is always I'll cook you food that's like my love language I'm like let me just serve you a roast <laughs> like when Laura told me about you I she said something about you really wanting a Sunday roast and I'm like have her come to my house I'll make her a Sunday roast yeah. and um, I think that I also probably do the mortality thing so it's good to challenge that in myself yeah. and think like oh well that they don't have the emotional labor the capacity to handle that emotional labor because it is Trying to deal with somebody else's reaction is yeah. emotional labor. Mm. And when you're going through something like that, you've got plenty to do on your own. You do not need to deal with anybody else's. But I think to what you were saying is also, it's a balance between you want the acknowledgement. Yeah. That you want the acknowledgement that you're going through something, that it's real and that you're going through stuff without yeah. people putting the the emotional burden on you. Yeah. And I think that's the balance of kind of going wow, that's horrible, I'm here for you. Yeah. And versus kind of going, oh, that's horrible, oh, you oh, must be no. so sad. Yeah. How do you feel? I'm like, like, crap. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like the pundits that talk to, like, after sports events, and they go, so, that was a terrible loss. How do you feel about it? And you're like, yeah, Not jolly, great. jolly, jolly and happy days, you yeah. know? Like, it's just a stupid question. Mm. It is a stupid question. It's a really stupid question. It is a stupid question. But, you know, how about you, Laura? What's one of the most frustrating things you get asked? Get asked? Oh, my God. Um, I get asked if I'm worried about the effect that all the painkillers will have on my insides. Like, I haven't really thought about that yet. Like, I'm trying but to... Thanks for bringing it up. No, yeah. I wasn't worried. For, like, I was one of those people. I. That's why I brought her food, because I'm like, you're going to ruin your stomach. From somebody who has stomach problems, I was like, you're going to ruin your stomach. You need to look after You need to have food. Yeah, so that was, that's, and it, it, it recurs every, every time I get a relapse yeah. or every time I see someone who I haven't seen for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I obviously secondarily worry about that kind of stuff. But at the moment, I'm like, am I going to be able to get up? Yeah. Am I going to be able to drive myself to work and walk the mm. pretty short distance between my car park and my office? Like, if the painkillers can get me to do the things that I need to do in my day happy days like i'm sure there's probably lots of stuff going on in there Mm. i don't really want to think about it i'm taking yakult i'm assuming that's gonna fix me um yeah i think that's the that's the main thing about the painkillers because it's such a everyone's kind of got a story about it as well like oh you know so and so oh you're not on tramadol oh no oh tramadol so bad i had such a response for tramadol (laughs) (laughs) just like yes literally the only thing that's working mate like yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Would you like me to change my medication to make yeah. you feel better? So I think that's my 
mm. my thing because although I'm very aware of the effect that different drugs can have on me and which ones work and which ones don't in this particular time round codeine's working um, I haven't tried tramadol because of the effects that it, it had and how long it took me yeah. to come off of it um, and all the people that told me not to have tramadol no no not that <laughs> um, like it's always slightly different especially when it's nerve pain nerve pain is really hard to yeah. get on top of like just let me just try and get on top of it like yeah. don't make me think about my insides <laughs> like yeah don't bring another problem to the table yeah of something that you can't help yeah like you it's not i don't take the painkillers it's like i need to take the painkillers to do the things to do the things like to exist in the world and yeah. you're you would choose not to if you could oh yeah you like know. i've even like because this is quite a new um relapse i've noticed that i'm trying to not have as many as i need and that is meaning that i'm in pain so I'm looking at the codeine when I've got my, like, every four-hour thing with my other drugs. I think, oh, I probably don't need the codeine. Let me see if I can go without the codeine. Because I know what it was like last time. And I'm so paranoid already, without even getting into the discussion about it, about being on pain relief. And, you know, how I'm healing with masking it or whether it's... I'm so paranoid already that I've started not having enough pain relief. So, like, just don't mention it. Don't ask me about it. Assume that I'm on the pain relief. Yeah. Like, it, that's... Sorry, that was a really long... A really no. long answer. But that's... My frustration is... Why, aren't you worried about what... Yeah. All the drugs are doing to your insides? I'm like... Not particularly, no. How so about you? So conversely, what helps? What helps? What... what, what When people ask? Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Oh, that is a good question. Um... It's helpful when you guys force yourselves on me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were uh, probably pretty good at that. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Mother, may I? Um, yeah, it's helpful when people such as yourselves are pushy. Are pushy and are, and yeah, and make sure that I'm doing the things that I need to be doing because I, although I look after my dog and I keep her alive successfully, um, I'm not great at looking after myself and so well, that's quite pretty handy there's a very fine line between people really wanting to connect with you in your hour of need and have that like i'm here for you mm. moment and then wanting to make it about themselves yeah and there's a really fine line between those yeah. two you know, when people are starting to tell you about their aunties dogs wives yeah dog's wives <laughs> yeah we all get the point right like, like uh, how many 27 oh my cousin's sister's friend had cancer would you like to talk to them yeah. no like she went <laughs> vegan and did this and and that miraculously yeah. solved x like that is you trying to put it's kind of like put, put, trying to put your agenda on someone yeah and there's a space for that if it's asked for i think like if you want if, if you you know yeah it's because people give a fuck and yeah. even if it annoys me, even if it's something and I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. I think that I believe the majority of people give a fuck and they really genuinely don't want anybody to suffer. So mm -hmm. then when they see you suffering, they find whatever way comes out. They want to try and help you. They do it. want to try to help you. And I had to remind myself that like I'm hypersensitive about this because this is something that I deal with all the time. 
they don't know that. They don't feel what I feel. And all they're trying to do is relate to me and help me because they see me suffering. And I had to kind of like re like just change the way I thought about it and not get so annoyed about it because it wasn't anything that they were doing wrong because for them it was just one topic in one day and then they were never going to think about it again. Mm. I made this, I did actually make the decision to tell pretty much everyone at work like um, very quickly you know I didn't even wait to find out if it was terminal or not before I told everybody so I found out the diagnosis on Thursday night that night I messaged my boss to tell her um, and then I think maybe the two days later I messaged like my peers at work um, and then the Monday I messaged my teams that I worked with um, and basically like said pass it on because I don't want to have to keep telling everybody it's like it's not a secret please tell people because it's exhausting for me and I don't want to have to keep doing it so yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know just upfront giving that people the permission to share it and for me it was more about I knew that eventually people would find out a yeah. version of truth then you can ex- and i guess i just didn't narrative. want yeah i just didn't want people to get half the story yeah or a mumbo jumbled bit of the story i was like just get the truth story yeah, <laughs> from yeah. my mouth or like you know close enough and um and then hopefully you know there hopefully people get yeah get the right story really yeah. um and it was the best thing I could have done. I basically didn't go back to work for eight months and everything that was on my plate got given to someone else. Mm. And it got know. done. And it got done. And you kind of think, we, you know, everybody kind of worries about, oh, what if I don't get this done tomorrow? What if yeah. I don't get that done if tomorrow? If I don't do this, then that doesn't happen. This doesn't happen. And it really doesn't matter. Like, if it needs to happen, it'll happen. Yeah. Someone will make it happen. And it doesn't have to be you every time. Well, nothing like a life-altering diagnosis to make you go, you know what? Work is work and life is yeah. life. And yeah. <laughs> I need to really just re-examine this. I think it's really interesting. Like, so I am part of, uh, I identify as pansexual. I, you know, like have to come out and whatever. It's really interesting because a lot of the stories that you tell about having to tell everybody and sending a text and just like wanting to control the narrative is so similar to that. Yeah. Having to come out of the closet constantly. <laughs> and like, you have to come out of the yeah, cancer like, closet. Hey, I had cancer, <laughs> you know? You know? It is. It's, it's just very interesting because I've never thought about it like that. But it's the same for me. The similarities are very interesting. Obviously, there's a lot of political stuff with the coming out. And so it's mm. different in that sense. But um, it is very much like having to come out over and over and over. Well, I feel like that might bring our first episode of the podcast to yeah. a close. How are we yeah. feeling, ladies? Yeah, that felt like a really good purge of, you know, a lot of the really high-level stuff that we deal with. Yeah, and I think we've identified some of the themes as well that we're yeah. going to dive, dive into a lot. Dive. <laughs> do a deep dive into. We're going to do a deep dive into. Yeah. Um, that we've all, that have just come out from when we've been talking yeah. as friends. Oh, definitely. And I think that's going to be really interesting to flesh some of those out a bit more. And I think that 
that's what we hope that this podcast will be it's a safe space for fart jokes and talk. <laughs> um, you know swearing and just opening up yeah we all just need support we need that kind of sense of community and i say this is the one that doesn't like yeah. people <laughs> you have a lot better though i'm getting better yeah but there's so many things that we all need as humans but yeah. we push down the priority ladder well it's societal too you know we always want to be the everything especially as women you know you got to be the hard worker you've got to mm. make the babies you do the house there's kind of a lot of pressure on and it's okay to be sick and you know kind of unlearning those themes in life mm. but it's really interesting how similar our experiences are in such wildly di- different mm. diagnosis yeah yeah. So we're going to cut so, it there. We because, are uh, invisibly ill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The outro. I was going to say something really fucking profound. And you just went. Go for it. Go I for can't it. remember what it was now. I'm a blooper now. It's a blooper. Oh my God, I've forgotten it. But actually yours was, yours was fine. <laughs> so should we just one of us. This has been invisibly ill. We hope you liked it. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs>